Have you been hitting the books and listening to lectures all day? It's time to relax, to unwind, and listen up. This is Brooke from Campus Chronicles, your go-to podcast for everything student life. No matter where you are in your academic journey, we have you covered. Think of us as a trusted mentor, friend, and confidant who always has your back. We'll be sharing inspiring stories, thought-provoking insights, and practical advice to help you succeed in and out of the classroom. So get ready to be inspired, enlightened, and entertained. Hello, hello. I am here with the absolutely incredible Tony Acosta, and he is the head organizer of TEDx Tempview Drive. And we are here to talk about all things communication from all of the perspectives. And Tony and I had the most challenging time getting on this podcast today. So we hope that we're going to create some excellent content giving. We had some struggles, didn't we, Tony? Oh, we did. But you know what? We figured it out. We're here. I'm so excited. Grateful, honored to be a part of your platform and uh, can't wait to get into this topic that I'm super passionate about. And I, I think, Tony, that we're both really passionate about this. And I don't know if I've shared this with you prior, but I started working in TV from a really young age and communication was always my skill or my gift, the thing that I typically and traditionally fell back on. But for so many people, communication can be a little bit of a challenge. Where did your passion and your interest in the field and the study of communication begin? Because for a lot of people, it's, it's quite an interesting story. Yeah, great question. So I think my uh, love for communication came from growing up in a very tumultuous household. So my parents are polar opposites when it comes to communication. My mother is fiery, loud, in your face. She is that stereotypical loud Latina that just fights. She's feisty. That's my mother. My father is a complete opposite. My father is quiet, reserved. He doesn't like to engage. He just retreats. He's not about getting louder or, or confrontation. So me, being the oldest of four, Growing up, I found myself from five, six, seven, eight years old having to referee these disagreements. And so very early on, I learned the consequences of not being able to communicate and how one singular event can have massively different communications. It can be interpreted in a completely different way based on somebody's personality and style. And so ultimately, my parents' marriage failed. And I feel like the reason that it failed is because they never learned to talk to each other. They just, they just couldn't. Everything turned into a fight all the time. And so from a very early age, I realized that learning how to talk to somebody was absolutely pivotal. In my opinion, now looking back, I feel like some of those issues that my parents had could have been resolved if they had that ability to have communication. But the other thing that I realized was that going through school, this isn't something that you're taught. Nobody ever teaches you how to have a conversation, how to engage, how to... And they assume that you know how, and that only makes it worse. Absolutely. And so growing up, then I had some of those patterns that I had to break. And once you know, I got married and I started trying to build my own relationship, that was one thing that I didn't want to happen. I didn't want to replicate my parents. And so I got into studying, I got into practicing, just trying to learn how to communicate. Because in the same way, my wife and I have different styles. And so I have learned through my exposure with TEDx that this is a common problem. That a lot of individuals feel like they're not heard, feel like they can't speak in their relationship because it turns into a fight. 
And so there's so many things that we keep bottled up just because we don't feel that we can express. And so I think one thing is learning how to do that in an effective manner, but also being able to be in a place where you're allowed to do so, if you will. So my love for communication came very early on, a little bit out of pain, but I realized the importance of it. And I think that it's the number one uh, pain point that we have as a society. We don't know how to talk to each other. I would 100% agree with you. And I love something that you said. It's that all people want to be seen, right? I've always said people want to be heard. They want to feel valued. They want to feel validated and important. But we can't do that if we don't know how to communicate in a way that that person can understand. And that extends to the professional setting too. It's, you know, this person brushed off my idea or this person didn't value what I had to say in a meeting. And oftentimes it is that clash of communication style that you're talking about. But because we're humans and because we're human, we internalize everything and then we start to dim our voice and we start to dim our light. Yeah, 100%. And I think that when you look at the political landscape, that's the problem, right? Nobody can have a conversation. If you're on the right, if you're on the left, if you're, you can't have a conversation. It turns personal right away. It gets heated. People start yelling. So we as a collective society do not have the ability to keep our cool, listen to an opposing idea give our opinion in a civilized manner. And I think that, as you said, it definitely translates to the workplace where we want our ideas heard, but at the same time, we need to be able to communicate that effectively and understand that you know, communication is all about thoughts in my head, it translated into words that you receive and those become thoughts in your head. A good communicator, what you have to realize is has the ability to, once it gets to Brooke, it's the same thoughts and ideas that I had. It doesn't get twisted. It's not peppered with who knows what, but that's what we see in the political landscape like you just mentioned. Exactly. And that's very difficult to do. And it's very difficult to let go of the reality that it might not be that way. How you receive something might be completely different. And uh, so, yeah, I think that that, that skill set, if, if we can improve that, I think our relationships will improve our civil discourse will improve and ultimately our society will improve because things will actually get done and resolved instead of just bickering on different sides of the room. Well, and with TEDx too, TEDx has such a you know, unique value proposition and it's that you walk away within 12 minutes or eight minutes or 10 minutes being transformed and seeing the world slightly even 1% differently than you did before. But you and I have had a prior conversation to this and said that people don't know how to communicate their value. And I get a lot of pitches for different TV shows and podcasts and magazines. And it's, my name is Bob. I'm amazing, but it's never, here's the value that I can bring to the world. And here's how I can change people's lives and perceptions. And even in job interviews and different sorts of speaking arenas, even if you're up in front of your you know, college course, giving a presentation, you have to be able to sell your own value. And we're not taught how to do that. We're not. And when I train speakers, the first question that any speaker, if there's anybody out there that wants to be a speaker, the first question you need to ask yourself is why should anybody listen to you? What do you have that is different? And that's a difficult question to ask because it kind of pokes at the ego a little bit. And everybody has value, but, but here we're talking about why would I spend either my money or my time listening to you? So once you internalize that, it allows you to have these conversations where you really take a step back and think about that. How, what, what is my message? What is, how does my story translate to somebody changing their behavior? Or as you said, 
seeing the world in a different light. Everybody has a story, but if there's no actionable takeaway or if there's nothing that the listener can grab onto and then change in their own life, then it's just a story. And yeah, people might be inspired for a little bit. They might get motivated. They might think, oh, that's a great story. But three days later, when they're back in their life, it's not really going to make a difference. And so whether it's pitching a product, whether it's being on stage, whether it's having a conversation with your six-year-old because he's being bullied at school, every different kind of conversation needs to have attached to it a takeaway, something that the listener can then go change or do that will improve their lives. And I've always said, in my case, there's a humongous difference between inspirational, which is what you just described. It gets you up on this cloud, rah, rah. It's like a cheerleader. It's amazing. And, and it feels so good in the moment. But the transformational communication, the transformational content doesn't always feel quite as good in the moment. Sometimes it's a little harder to hear and it's a little harder to stomach. But that's what really, when you're back in your regular life, you're back working, going to school, getting your master's degree, whatever it is, that's what you can actually apply. Versus that raw, raw cheerleader feeling really does fade. So how do you get people into the space where they're receptive and they're willing to receive that transformational content versus only the inspirational, which we can go, you know, get on Instagram really easily? Sure. It's a really interesting process. And what I've learned is that not everybody wants that. Everybody wants to be a speaker. Everybody wants to be on TEDx, but I liken it to, I played high school sports. And if you played high school sports, there's the cheerleaders and there's the coach. They're different. You said it perfectly. The coach is completely different and they both serve different purposes. But for some, it's difficult to really get vulnerable and answer that question. Why should anybody care? Why should anybody listen to you? You have this story. What does that mean for me? Some people don't like that. What I try to get people to understand is that whatever your story is, if it's a story that is built out of achievement, because some stories are built out of achievement, other stories are built out of pain and suffering. Whatever it is, there is somebody out there that either wants to achieve what you've achieved or has gone through or is going through what you went through. So I think step one is not making it about yourself. That's one of the reasons why I love TED so much, because it's not about you. It's ideas worth spreading. And I often say, if you write the perfect TED talk, you could deliver it to somebody else to give, and it would be just as powerful. When I asked that to speakers, I said, hey, if we build the perfect TED talk around your experience or whatever it is, how would you feel if I gave it to somebody else to deliver on stage? The answer, well, always, they're like, no, why would I do that? This is my story. But here's the thing with stories. All of the big stories, all of the inspirational stories, be it Martin Luther King, or stories from whatever it is, the Civil War. We hear those on authority. We didn't hear it. At least I wasn't around with Martin Luther King. Like we hear them from other people and they're still powerful. Why? Because it's about the message. Martin Luther King is not about Martin Luther King. It's about what he stood for and his message and the way that he cared for people. And so in the same way, a speaker that wants to really transcend has to make that mental leap. They're still going to deliver it. They have to realize that they're speaking to someone in the audience that if we take a pain perspective is going through the same thing. And there's countless examples that I could give of interactions like this, where we, once you realize it's about them, it changes everything. 
Mm-hmm. And I love that you brought up Martin, Martin Luther King because I think he's a great example of magnetism that doesn't lose its magnetism over decades and decades and hundreds of years um, because he embraced who he was and what he stood for. He was very much a fool person. And sometimes we have a quirk. You know, I have a couple speaking quirks. I am sure that you have a couple speaking quirks. What we have traditionally done as a society is say, here is the right way to be. And here's a cookie cutter way to be. And this is the right way to do a job interview. This is the right way to give an outward presentation. This is the right way to speak on stage. And when we do that, we sometimes take away from them really the mission and the, the magnetism and the heart of what we're trying to say. And I'm always telling people, as you know, to your point, the mission, the message and the heart of it is so important as much as the words that you're choosing. Yeah, because people won't remember what you said. They'll remember how you made them feel. They might remember a quote or two, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, did this person actually propel me to change something? And so, again, going back to whether it's on stage in a professional setting or in a personal setting, that's the, that's the purpose of communication is to get ideas across that cause some sort of change. And uh, there's a lot of just hollow communication these days, just words that don't really mean anything. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people feel that just nothing changes. I think structurally as a society, we're seeing that with Instagram. There's a lot of the reels. The rise of the real content has showed us, you know, 30 second video clips, 40 second video clips. And oftentimes they say all of the right things, but they don't necessarily propel you to the right actions. Would you agree with that? I do. Yeah, I think it's easy to take things out of context. It's easy to not get the bigger picture. It's, you, just, you, you just live in snapshots. When you live in snapshots, you don't get the full context. We'll go back to the Martin Luther King example. Everybody knows that I have a dream. How many people have actually heard that entire speech? Or you've read very few people have actually read the entire speech or any of his other speeches because he gave dozens of hundreds of speeches. We know him from the I have a dream quote, not even the I have a dream speech. Very few people have heard the whole thing. It's the I have a dream quote. And so I think that, you know, if, you resonate with King's message, it would serve you well to go back and go through all of his content because there's so much richness there. But if we just live in snippets, if we live in seven seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, quotes at a time, I feel that we miss out a lot on the deeper meaning, the deeper concepts that can actually bring about the change that we're seeking. I am so curious who, if any, were the people that when you first started having this passion or this desire to speak, did you have any role models or any people that you listened to and just really loved their style or their technique? That's a great question. Early on, uh, I served an LDS mission for my church. And so uh, Jeffrey R. Holland is one of the you know, apostles of the church. And his style to me was captivating. He was, he was very upfront, very direct. Uh, he had this way of he felt like a coach, but at the end of kind of grilling you, he always made you feel important. And I think that that really resonated with me, at least. I, I read his books. I would listen to all of his talks. And over time, you start to meet different people. You know, I early on when I was in my early 20s, I listened to Gary Vee a lot just because he was just kind of in your face, loud, just tell you how, things how they are. And then you start meeting like the Simon Sinek's and you start meeting some of these other individuals, the Brene Browns. But for me, I think a good speaker has, a, a, understands the relationship between the coach. It can give you the information that you need in the moment to not lose the game. But then at the end, it will always kind of tell you why. 
and will make sure that you leave that interaction not feeling like a failure, like some sports coaches do. You suck, do this. It's, we can be better. Here's why it matters. I think once you master that, sky's the limit. I had a very bad experience one time, and I promise this relevant is relevant listeners. I was trying to speak, had about 43 seconds. That's not long. It sounds long. It's not in context. And I'm standing there, I'm talking, and this large man, seven foot plus, comes up and he just plows over me. And I'm wearing heels. I fall, I fall to the ground and pick up my microphone and keep talking. And people have asked me a lot because people love that clip of me. They love to see me fall and topple over. They say, how did you keep talking? I always say it's that I have a lot of trust for myself so that if I'm in a difficult situation, if there's a lot of eyeballs blinking on me and it's making me sweat or it's making me uncomfortable, or even if I fall down or get knocked over literally or figuratively, it's that trust. Would you agree that you have to build up that internal trust for yourself and your story? You have to, you have to. And the problem is that there's a lot of fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it doesn't serve anybody. It can only get you so far. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because eventually they're going to find out if there's no substance behind your bravado, they're going to find out. So when we talk about confidence, Alex Hormozzi is one of my favorite confidence quotes. And he says that confidence doesn't come from affirmations. It doesn't come from saying things in the mirror, or putting things on your vision board. True confidence comes from stacking undeniable proof that you are who you say you are. And so whether that's in your case, you've, you've done this hundreds of times, you're good at it, you understand, you have confidence, you know that you can bounce back. If it was your first broadcast, it probably would have gone very different. I'm sure it would have. But once you build that confidence, then you know that you'll be okay. So that's why, whether it's on stage or it's talking to your spouse, once you get the reps in, you got to practice and it's going to be uncomfortable at first. It's the exact same process as anything else, like going to the gym or anything that you want to build. It's going to be difficult at first. But once you've had 40 or 50 relatively productive conversations with your partner, that gives you the confidence of whatever happens, I know that we can talk through it. I know that it's not going to get out of control. That's what my parents lacked. They were never able to get to that point. So with confidence, yes, you need to stack the proof that you are who you say you are. If you just fake it till you make it, people are going to find out. And when they do, it's even more painful because people feel like you cheated them. Instead, work on developing the skills Go through the process. Don't cheat the process. And when you come out on the other side, now you can stand there and provide value. What is your advice for someone that is hearing this right now and they don't want to fall into the fake it until you make it trap? They really, really want to put in the work. What's one piece of advice you have for them? This is kind of difficult for, it's going to be difficult for some people to hear, but if you don't have it yet, either stay off of social media or be very careful about what you consume because you will very easily, what everybody does right now is everybody says, oh, find a mentor, find a mentor. So they go on social media, they find a mentor and say, oh, I love Alex Hormozzi. Okay. And immediately they try to be Alex Hormozzi or they try to be Tony Robbins or they try to be this individual. The caveat, what they miss, what they conveniently forget is that these individuals have accomplished massive things over decades. So if I look at a Gary Vee and I want to be him tomorrow, I can kind of try to copy how he talks, but I haven't built anything that he has built. Gary Vee already exists. When you go out and you seek a mentor, 
They already exist. The world doesn't need you to imitate them. What the world needs is for you to go through your process and then talk about your process because your process is going to have different nuance. It's going to have different experiences, different details. So don't fall into this. If I like somebody's style, I just want to copy it and be them. Be okay with being quiet for a season. This is something that I didn't understand very well in my early real estate days, in my real estate career. I wanted to be loud. And I remember my broker would always tell me, like, you're still going through this process. You're still growing. You're, you're still learning. But I fell into that. Now, I'll be completely honest. I fell into that. I saw other people being successful in real estate and I wanted to be them. But it wasn't until I, I had five, six years later, I had sold hundreds of homes. I had become a broker. Now it's like, okay, now's the time. So don't rush your process. Whatever point you are in your life, if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, it doesn't matter. Life is long. You have 50 years left, 40 years left, 60 years left. So allow yourself to go through that process and don't try to just copy people just because you think they're cool. They already exist. The world doesn't need you for that. I love that you brought up real estate because real estate can be very cookie cutter. I'm trying to sell homes. I'm trying to sell apartment buildings. I'm trying to sell condos, whatever it is that you're trying to sell. And then you say, oh my gosh, Gary made, you know, $750,000 in sales last month. I got to go copy Gary. And we see that in job interviews as well, which I think is so dangerous, both in sales and in job interviews, because it's masking, as I mentioned before, those unique works, those things that make people smile when they think of your name. And if you're masking that and you're dulling that and you're saying that that's not important, you are going to lose the essence of what makes you memorable. And it's, th these are skill sets. And the reason why I love sports is because in sports, it's very evident. You're good at this sport or you're not good at this sport. You know this. You're either a good basketball player or you're not a good basketball player. And you can usually tell very, very quickly if you've got it. I coach boxers. You either, you're at a certain skill level. But when we talk about these soft skills, these communication skills, these sales skills, it's not as evident. At least it doesn't feel as evident, but it is just as evident. If somebody is ahead of you, they're just better at you than at this in this particular moment of time. Of course, there's merit to that. So you have to realize, okay, Jamie is better at sales. Why? Well, Jamie's been in it for twice as long as I have. She's done. I mean, there's a reason why Jamie is better than you. And instead of taking that uh, as something painful of, oh, crap, Jamie's better than me, it's, can I learn from Jamie? Can I model maybe their process? Not try to copy them, but what, what helped them? What, what things did they do early on? And then do those things, but get to a place where it doesn't, it, we're okay being in a room of people that are better than you at something. That's very difficult to do, especially in this day and age. We want everybody to be exactly the same at everything all the time, forever, from a skills perspective. And that's just not the way the world works. Some people, you're better than some people at certain things. Other people are better than you. But once you identify the thing that you need to master, it's time to put in the work. Be, be a little bit quiet, put in the work until you have something that you can share. I love this. I love this because you're touching on individualism. Okay, Tony, I've had so much fun with you. People are going to learn so much, but I have one last very daunting question for you. People think my question here is daunting. What is three semi-quick, just perhaps one sentence nuggets of advice that you could give people? As far as communication goes? 
Yeah. And start to apply it into their life. What are the three things you think people should know? So I think number one, study communication, whether that's through books, whether that's through YouTube videos, practice. Number two is everybody that's listening to this has three to seven difficult conversations that you've been putting off and you know what they are. Yes, we all do. We all do. Build up that confidence to have those conversations. I often say we're three to seven difficult conversations away from a new level of happiness. And number three, I'll, I'll do this one for the, the, the people that, that want to speak. If you want to get on stage, here's the number one thing that you can realize that will change the way you view this. Everybody's on your side. The audience is cheering you on. Nobody wants to sit through a crappy speech. Nobody wants to th sit through, nobody wants to see you bomb. Everybody is cheering you on. Everybody in the building wants you to win. Your audience wants you to win. The organizer wants you to win. Everybody wants you to win because everybody that either paid money or is giving their time to sit in that chair wants something to happen. So that for me was very liberating because I used to see the audience as the enemy. They're judging me. They're not going to like me. They want you to win. So I, that, that's what I would say. Practice, have the difficult conversations. Even if it doesn't go well, try again, analyze it. And until it goes the way that, the way that you can be at peace, Number three, realize that the audience is your ally. Yes. And listen to Tony on the third piece, especially because I was 12 years old the first time I heard that. And up until then, I did um, musical theater as a child, a lot of different sort of professional things. I botched all of my auditions. And the first time somebody told me that was a casting director. It changed my life. So listen to all of Tony's wonderful advice, but really focus in on that last third point because it really will make a profound difference for you. Tony. Thank you so much for sharing your afternoon with me. I so appreciate it. And I hope you've had a wonderful time. hundred percent. Thank you so much for having me. It was super worth it. I hope there's some value and I appreciate you thinking of me and you know, spending 30 minutes with me. Thank you for joining me on Campus Chronicles. I hope you found our discussion informative, inspiring, entertaining, and fun. We are always working hard to make sure that our episodes are the very best they can be which means we need your help. If you liked what you heard, remember to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast platform and drop us a review. It helps us to connect with more students who are hungry for success. And remember, the journey never stops. Keep listening, keep learning, keep growing. See you next week for another amazing episode of Campus Chronicles.